0: Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. You're tuned in to Full Service Radio full service radio full service full service full service full service
1: radio peace everyone and welcome to the edible activist podcast I'm your host Melissa L Jones broadcasting live from the lobby of the line DC this podcast is where dynamic people of color in the food and agriculture space share their personal food journeys passions and perspectives that stem from the land all exemplifying the spirit of activism in their own edible way Let's get started. Hey, 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 peace, everyone, and welcome to the Edible Activist Podcast. Today on the show, I have a really cool guest, and sorry for the delay, guys. We had a little bit of a difficulty, technical difficulty. Or I don't know if you want to call it a technical difficulty, but stuff happens, but we're here and we're ready. So I have a great guest today, guys, and um, her name is Rebecca Lemos Otero. Yes, I got right and Rebecca has dedicated her career to making safe green spaces where children and youth are the main stewards and cultivators as co-founder and executive director of City Blossoms Rebecca gets to combine her interests in community develop community development entrepreneurship culture culture the arts and working with youth welcome to the show Rebecca Thank you. Did I say your last name right? Almost. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I appreciate how, how I, you worked on it. Okay, yes, it thank was great. you. Thank
1: you. Great. I don't like jacking up folks' names, okay? Like, I want to be, I want to respect respect the name. Throw yes. some respect on it. So, thank you for coming to the show. I'm so excited to just have you in this space. Um, we have, we. I've seen you in action uh, numerous times, but just to have a one-on-one conversation with you is going to be really dope. So, and I get to learn more about you. So, the rundown, guys, for today... We're gonna come back. We're gonna connect back to your roots, Rebecca, and we're gonna learn more about your heritage and what this means to you in the agriculture space. We're gonna learn about current city blossom programs and initiatives because this organization is extremely dynamic. And um, I'm actually gonna tell you in a moment how to find them because I like for our listeners to like look at the page and listen so they can see all the goodness that you guys are doing. <clears throat> we're gonna learn how green spaces can reduce depression. And we're also going to educate listeners on how to be more hands-on in building edible spaces, because Rebecca is so hands-on, (laughs) y'all. She was in here about to fix some stuff in a minute, (laughs) hence the reason why we're a little bit behind. So um, welcome again, Rebecca. Peace. Like, this is going to be great. And so, Rebecca, like... Who who is Rebecca and and what are your roots? Because I like I know you in the City Blossom space and the food space and the green space, but you know I want our our listeners to be able to connect to you know the soul of who you are and where you come from. And um, I know you're from DC.
0: Yes, um, yeah, born and raised DC. Yeah, I'm actually you? my family house is two blocks away from where we're recording this now. Can
1: you tell folks how you actually used to work in the church before it was a hotel?
0: (laughs) Yeah so I grew up in Ems Morgan um, and my parents are activists and I'll go back to that but um, so every summer I'd be you know I was already kind of working at what starting at age 13 and one time for a few years I worked with Urban Rangers which was an organization that was uh, funded or, sorry, founded by uh, someone who lived in the neighborhood. And we would come to this church and partner with City Bikes and had a whole bike set up. And I learned how to take a bike apart and put it back together. And it would be me and a bunch of, like, teenage boys mostly. <laughs> and I would I would teach them and, and support them in learning how to uh, put bikes together. And we'd find recycled ones or, like, ones thrown away and fix them up and, like, take care of them for ourselves and then share them with, like, other kids and all that. So it's really funny being back in this space uh, and seeing how it's changed. Well, we're here. We're here.
1: So tell us a bit about your roots and your your heritage, Rebecca.
0: Um, So like I said, I was born in D.C. Um, I'm a little bit of a funky mix. My mom is Bolivian. She's a Bolivian immigrant. And my father is Paraguayan. uh, And he was a political refugee um and so they both came and met up here at what was called the wilson center or they're not the wilson center this wilson um community center on 16th and like columbia road um and so yeah i feel very much like i'm a dc kid born and raised uh like i said before um but both of my parents are really interesting they both were very much social activists um ties both to latin america so our house was called, like, Hotel Lemos for a long time because there's always someone <laughs> staying there. Aww. And, uh, someone either from Colombia or from Paraguay or, or Nicaragua, uh, Chile. Like, they were always just coming through. If it was that they couldn't be in their country for a period of time, they would come through and hang out with us. Or if for some reason they were coming to the States to do either usually protest work or advocacy. Um, so that's kind of, like, the world I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And then my parents, and this really um, stems from them, as well as my grandmother, was, you know, wherever you live is home, and wherever home is, you do good. Right. Right? So both of my parents um, started their own nonprofits in the 80s, uh, one around childcare um, and the other one around housing. And so ever since, like, you know, like I said, ever since I was 13, I was put to work in some kind of something or other. So I either worked at Centronia or I worked with Urban Rangers or uh, sister-to-sister, hermana, hermana. And it was always just... um, kind of working with other kids, usually, Mm -hmm. or kids slightly younger than me. I think when I was 13, I started teaching jewelry classes to a group of girls who then I got them to work into a garden at some point. And now I've (laughs) taught their kids. Oh, my God. Do you feel old when you think
1: about that? (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit.
0: And I know you're not old. (laughs) So I really grew up doing um, all kinds of community stuff in Adams Morgan and in Columbia Heights. That was mostly like that was home. So you, I, you identify,
1: though, as a Latina woman. Like, how do you identify?
0: I identify as a Latina woman. Okay. Um, and mostly because um, I, my parents would definitely send us to Latin America whenever they could. Mm-hmm. So, like, I did, you know, summer, you know, how your right. family sends you down? Yes. Exactly. So mm-hmm. I would be sent to Bolivia um, or Colombia or whatever. But, um, my real roots feel like they're based in D.C. more than anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I definitely kind of identify as Latina versus like Bolivian Paraguayan type okay. of thing more so. Because I feel like I'm a mix between right. that and, and just D.C. and D.C. culture. And definitely influenced by um, like Salvadorian culture mm-hmm. that I grew up, you know, surrounded by Salvadorian yeah. uh, families and restaurants and food and music yes. and everything. So I feel like I'm kind of just a mesh of all that is this neighborhood, is or was this neighborhood. Absolutely. And it's interesting. Actually, I
1: was on a panel um, last night and we were asked a question. I I can't, there were tons of questions, but one of the things that I always, you know, um, take pride in is coming up. I grew up in what I would call like a little mini melting pot because I had Jamaican friends I had friends from El I can tell you. I think the my El Salvador friends were on the ninth floor. My Jamaican friends were on like the basement level. My other Jamaican friends were on the seventh floor. My Mexican friends were down the hall. My Ethiopian friends were next exactly. door. I had sticky rice at like a very young age. I had the best curry at a very young age, and just being able to experience like all those cultures and to connect now to like the space that I'm in is making those connections has just been like incredible and just really important when it comes to like food identity and stuff like that. So when you said El Salvador, I had to bring that up because (laughs) I remember my El Salvadorian friends and being and tasting so many like dishes. It was just great. So growing up in DC, um, obviously you have, you have witnessed a huge transition you uh, along with yeah, everyone that's else putting it <laughs> that's putting it lightly <laughs> <laughs> and you were the ultimate activist okay forget edible <laughs> activists. like you were an activist when you were a baby what did that landscape look like um, back then versus what it looks like now Oh, God. That's such... We know the answer. Yeah. going to so, say it. <laughs> oh, you're putting me on the hot spot. I am.
0: Um, what it looked like before. I mean, I have a very clear memory, particularly of Columbia Road between 14th and 15th Street. That was where my mom's uh, center was and still is, Centronia. Oh, wow. And, um, and so I have a very, very clear image of that space because that's where we were for like, you know, hours at a time my mom would have nighttime meetings we'd be hanging out there like all that kind of stuff there was uh, a man and a woman on the corner who would sell um, mangoes cut with hot sauce lime and a little bit of salt yes and then like their you know and they would have their fruit cart with all kinds of other fruit and stuff like that and you knew those people all the apartment buildings were filled with families mostly immigrant families Mm -hmm. and then uh, the uh, and then the building complex around the corner uh, was predominantly African American families, and so like that point of Fourteenth in Columbia was like kind of where everyone just walked by at some point, which is why it 's kind of crazy that our first garden was there because it really wasn 't the center point where everyone would walk by and see it. Mm-hmm. But um so it was that and there was music all the time and mm-hmm. you know the target and the metro station and none of that existed of so it, there was yeah. the carry out there was the subway the dress barn and the post office The dress barn those don't even exist anymore do they <laughs> <laughs> I Don't think I don't, so. I don't <laughs> uh, um En eso no me meto.
1: What she said? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're not there. <say.
0: laughs> um But so, yeah, and there is a Safeway and then a community garden in the back. uh, And then there was Centronia and LAYC, Latin American Youth Center, um, and then a few other organizations around the area, uh, Carecen, uh, Clinica del Pueblo, like all that stuff. So it was a very active, organized community um, at the same time. At least that's what it felt like to me. Um, Very celebrated while at the same time also facing a lot of issues around poverty and uh in the 90s particularly there was a lot of like uh youth violence happening um all that kind of stuff and then the metro came the target came mm-hmm. gentrification came yeah. um still coming it's still- <laughs> waves man waves, waves. tsunamis yeah. um tsunamis <laughs> oh shoot <laughs> Got so <laughs> Adams Morgan definitely changed uh, and Columbia Heights changed I think there's the interesting thing is that at least in Columbia Heights in certain pockets and places there's still like have you know there's still families there that I walk by and I know the people and all that but a lot of the apartment buildings have been um, that didn't organize have now turned into condos yeah you know it's uh, the usual story um you know it's just. Uh, people have been priced out for mm-hmm. a, lot of, in a lot of cases and all that. So, a lot of the kids who I used to work with, I'll meet up with them and see them in the street and stuff. And it turns out, you know, they now live in like Silver Spring, PG County, all, the counties. all that kind yeah. of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's yeah. kind of the reality we're now. But that said, I also want to be really respectful of the fact that when I walk through the, these neighborhoods um, that I know so well, like I said, there's still pockets of people. And I don't want to just say, well, You know, Columbia Heights changed, so it's done, you know, or so-and-so is done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But there's still, you know, pockets of kids uh, who are running around after Mm -hmm. school and, like, need places to go hang out. And so that's one of the reasons I definitely will always think that our work will be, you know, in these neighborhoods. Absolutely. Um, Even as Adams Morgan and D.C. in general, like, changes.
1: What was your relationship to food? If any, well, everybody has a relationship to food in in whatever capacity. But in terms of the growing space, the land space, was there any prior relationship to City Blossoms and the work that you do now?
0: Not tons. Um, And that's okay. Yeah. No, that's the funny thing is people are always like, oh, food. You know, and cooking—you must love cooking. I'm like, uh, <laughs> actually, I don't. Mm, so, yeah, <laughs> uh, I make a mean salad. Um, so, yeah, the funny thing is, the activism, the community development, the community organizing um, stuff came first, mm-hmm. and food was always part of that, right? Because you throw a party, you have food. Absolutely. You do, you have invite families, you do potluck. You mm-hmm. know, you do like all that kind of stuff. So, food was always very much involved, and food was always a, a point of pride for people. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that's one thing that I did observe really early on was that whenever you went somewhere, someone was really excited to share their food with you. And so for us, uh, again, when we started talking about the gardens a little bit, tying that in, that was still like an extension of that. It's where's that pride and let's tap into that, you know, that sense of pride around what we're growing, what we're eating.
1: Wonderful. I like your earrings, by the way. Sorry, I'm I'm looking at you. I'm looking at your earrings. Sorry, guys. (laughs) to say that. (laughs) For those who are just tuning in, this is Melissa L. Jones with the Edible Activist Podcast. And I am here chatting with Rebecca Lemos Otero. A City Blossoms. I'm going to get her last name right, okay? I'm <laughs> going to get it to the T. I actually want to learn um, Spanish as a second language. I'm just going to toss that out there. It's been a long-term goal of mine. Um, but we're just having a conversations. I have um, been in Rebecca's space a few times, but I've never had a one-on-one with her. And so just learning about her... Um, upbringing in D.C. and, you know, the landscape um, that she is has witnessed change and is still changing. And I, you know, I bring those questions up not to just necessarily pinpoint the bad or just pinpoint the good. But I do I feel like that ties into a lot of the work that people are doing now um, and just seeing like all the, the change, you know, that, you all are incorporating and still incorporating and just thinking back to where you were when you were in D.C. and just, you know, what that landscape looked like. So thank you for sharing that with us. And so um, thank you guys for listening and for those who are just tuning in. Like, this is going to be a really dope show and I'm just happy to be here with Rebecca. So you worked on, speaking of, like, not really having any ties to the land and growing in, you know, in that respect prior to City Blossoms, which which we're going to talk more about. But um, I was reading that there was one small project that you worked on that kind of just like was the catalyst behind <laughs> City Blossoms and it just took off from
0: there. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what happened. What was the rundown? So I think it was 1998. <laughs> um, I'm terrible with dates. That's, <laughs> but it's, it, yeah, 1998. It was right before I went to college. So I, get, I think I just gave my age away. <laughs> That matters. I wasn't calculating. Eh. <laughs> um, so yeah, ni- uh, around 1998, someone did what we later started calling "drop and plop," which is someone outside of a community comes in, drop and plop, doesn't necessarily do community building work or partner too much, and they plop something into the community. They drop it. They plop it. Um, And then kind of walk away and be like, look at this amazing thing I made you. Peace out. And then there's no thought about sustainability, you know, staffing costs that are being associated to it. And so sometimes those projects, as well-meaning as they may be, turn into like something else that the community or that organization has to like now balance and work with. And sometimes it's more of a stress um, sometimes it works out, sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But that's one yeah. of the reasons we really think, cons- we try to be really conscious about how we enter a space. So that said, someone did kind of something like that at, at Centrónia, which at that point was Calvary Bilingual Multicultural Learning Center. Okay. <laughs> Just throw that out um, for whoever's listening remembers those days. Uh, anyway. Uh, so we had a small garden space there that just sh- kind of showed up, and I was asked by one of the counselors to go out with a group of kids. I'd never gardened before, you know. This was not no green thumb, um, no. nothing. Like I loved going to Rock Creek Park yeah. because it was behind my house. That, but that was about all my connection with like nature really on a regular basis. Um, and so I took some kids out there, and we started, like, planting some seeds. The joke is, you know, that our first plants were, uh, like, Michael Jackson, and I forget the name of the other one. There are two tomato plants, and we planted them in shade. We had, at some point, like, a goldfish that died and got buried back there. Aww. Like, we were just guessing at what we were doing, right? And it was this plot that was maybe 15 feet by 15 feet, really small. But what was magical about it is once we started doing it, and one of these neighbors still lives there and I see him all the time Um, It was me and a bunch of, you know, like 10 year olds or whatever, and Adults started walking by down Columbia Road and they would stop and be like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, oh, this is how we do it in my country or hey, you're really doing that wrong or wow, (laughs) those plants are really beautiful. You know, your sunflowers are gorgeous, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it was this mixed array of remarks. But what was interesting was that the adults were stopping and seeing us and seeing us as like someone doing something in the community versus uh, a lot of work sometimes was, that was happening then was very much directed at youth, but it's like, you're gonna now go do this, you're gonna do this, we're bringing you this. And this was very much like creating our own space. And I say our own because I, at that point I was so young that it was just kind of right. all of us <laughs> together. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I found that really powerful and I found it powerful in the way that people were seeing us in the space. And so that was kind of the light bulb moment. Wow. And that garden still exists.
1: It does. Yeah.
0: It's gone through like 20 renditions, um, but it still still exists.
1: That's okay. Before we take a really quick break, you know, um, we're going to talk more about City Blossoms, but, you know, just give
0: us a brief spill on the mission behind City Blossoms because it is
1: awesome.
0: (laughs) Um, It's creating healthy communities through kid-driven community green spaces. So pretty much it means creating spaces that kids fill and shape And through that, doing community development work.
1: Those kids look like they just have a ball. I go on their page. So, City Blossoms, if you're on Instagram, I know they're on Instagram. Guys on Facebook too? Yes. Okay. Just go on their page, guys. I mean, it is just, it just lights up my life. (laughs) It really does. (laughs) Just to see the joy on their face being in this green space. But we're going to talk more about that after our break. We'll be back, guys. Thank you. You're listening to Perfect Day, produced by Artist Authentic. For more of Authentic's work, visit allornothingstudios.com. Welcome back, guys. It's Melissa L. Jones with the Edible Activist Podcast. And I am broadcasting live from the lobby of the line, DC, here on Full Service Radio. And I have Rebecca Lemos Atero. I hope I'm getting closer to getting your name right, sister. <laughs> Rebecca is the executive director and co-founder of City Blossoms, which is a wonderful organization and initiative that works with youth to, you know, cultivate green spaces for them and in the city. And she's going to talk a bit more about her mission. Um, Rebecca didn't have a green thumb coming up. But she was always like a <laughs> mini activist in the community, grew up in D.C., two blo- a couple blocks from where we are here. Adams Morgan has all been conscious for a very long time, though, been conscious for, for quite some time. And your parents were activists. So that just all just came on you. And you had you took the, you naturally took the baton and the work just continues. So, um Like I said, City Blossoms is an awesome initiative. You go on their page and those the smiles of the staff and the kids would just light up your life. And I love to see that in green spaces. And we need it. We need it. So doing a lot of work with the youth, Rebecca, um, my question for you, when kids enter a green space, especially at a young age, which is so, so very important. What, is, like, how are they, what are they automatically connecting to mentally when they come into these green spaces?
0: Um, so with City Blossoms, we work with kids anywhere from two to about 19. So you know, quite a range, mm-hmm. and so quite a range in uh, reactions. Usually if they come into the garden young, they come totally ready to be explorers. They are just, you know, let them loose and they just <laughs> go for it, right? They want to touch, smell, taste everything. Uh, no fear, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and with uh, once they have a few, you know, kind of opportunities to be in the gardens with us, then they definitely get fearless around just picking something and eating it. You know, almost a little too fearless. <laughs> um, and that's why we like to have little littles come into the garden because if they have that, you call them little littles. I call them. Oh little my little, little, gosh, little, little littles. littles but <laughs> If we have them that young coming into the garden, then, you know, there's no, then they're already creating their relationship with nature and food that is very much their own. And it's not based too much on biases of like, oh, something's dirty or something. Right. So and then was age as kids age up when we first started, if they were 10 years old. Like, they were already like, mm-mm, that's not for me. <laughs> they mm-mm. came in. That would have what been you, me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but now I'm starting to see, because DC has really focused on um, helping young kids, particularly in schools, get connected to gardens, there's definitely a lot more like, you know, there's, there's a few mm but then there's also <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I know Kale. You know, whatever. Uh, and then the teenagers at the beginning are usually the toughest uh, because they're like, I got my nails done. I got my hair done. Mm-hmm. Like. I ain't getting dirty. Exactly. But then uh, once they have some time in the space, usually because the way we create it is it's not that you have to do something. Is that here's the space. You fill it and you find out what it is that you like about it. So that if it's that you need a space, just a quiet green space to go read and be left alone for a little while, so you got some alone time, then that's what it's there for. If you have the space because you want to be with your friends, If you want to water, if you want to, you know, take care of the plants. And usually by the end, kids and young people want to experience a little bit of everything. They are all explorers in the end. Absolutely. So they definitely get that. But the first inclination might be a little like, you know, I'm from D.C. We don't do that type of thing. (laughs) But then, of course, as soon as you talk to them, almost everyone has a family story. Right. Of like, But my family member does this. My grandmother does that. So. Everyone usually has had some experience. We just, you know, help them kind of create their own personal relationship. Absolutely. And I
1: think the the greatest thing about it. So you asked me and uh, uh, I, get, I get these questions um, pretty often. They're like, Melissa, how did you get into food? Because I tell people I'm not really, I'd say, quote, unquote, I'm not, I wasn't supposed to be in this space. OK, like I wasn't I was doing something totally different and opposite of all of this. But, you know, not that the show is about me. It's about Rebecca, but I'm going to tie this all in. So, you know, a lot of people know that I made the food and health connection like a while back and it was really due to my mom having to change her lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. I got really, when I started learning about all that and started watching documentaries, I got heavy into soil. I didn't Mm. realize how vital soil was to the environment. And so this was all just a personal journey for me as I'm planning events, living my life, you know, running my business. I was learning about food, health and soil. And I was just like, why was I not introduced to soil During my youth, like, this is so crazy. So the fact that kids can walk into a space and literally they're getting dirty, but touching something that's so vital and so healthy and so calming and so soothing for them, it's just amazing. It is just an amazing thing. And, you know, I'm not sure how early on you all teach them about, you know, the... The sciences behind, and whichever way, simple, simplified way, you know, for the little littles, um, or even, you know, for the youth up to nineteen. I mean, this is an educate, this is an um, educational process for everyone. But um, I just think back to my youth, and I wasn't in a garden. Yeah, I wasn't. I mean, I was, I was a bit of a tomboy out playing baseball, basketball, you know. And I would go take, you know, wash all the dirt and stuff off. But I wasn't getting my hands into plots and dirt because I didn't know anything. But it's so vital. Do you all teach, like, is there any, I know you guys teach a lot of lessons, obviously, but is there any curriculums at all around like healthy soil and just them touching the earth as they come into these spaces?
0: Um, I'm trying to think within our curriculum. There's probably, I know like I have many edu- uh, educators who are part of our team who work with, who are just as into yeah getting kids with their hands in the soil. Like Jessica particularly loves to break down soil. Um but so as far as individual lessons yes we definitely have them but more than anything it's whenever kids come into a space It's just having them, like you said, put their hands in the Mm -hmm. soil, look for worms usually, Mm. look for like demystify soil, but also uh, showcase kind of its magic. Yes. Because it's like on one end, demystify (laughs) it so you're not scared of like the bugs that you see and all that. But on the other hand, be like this beautiful stuff. If you smell it and you smell that it's like healthy, then that you know that like millions of microorganisms are living yes. in it and this is kind of like the beginning of everything and you put a seed in it exactly and magical things happen so it's like that a little bit of both right and just being like completely into and thankful of like the power that's in it
1: you make me want to go play in soil right now <laughs> like right now just like smell the earth smell the earth oh yeah rebecca how can green spaces reduce depression
0: um i want to be careful to answer that yes I'm not a clinical doctor professional, but um, there are reports that have come out. Specifically, one came out last year that was highlighted in NPR in the University of Philadelphia, I believe, or Univ- Penn University, University of Pennsylvania, um, that really focused on the idea that just what is the impact of green spaces in communities? And what they said, um, and it's not the perfect report. Because they weren't even necessarily having people interact with the green spaces or just walking by.
1: Oh wow! Okay. But they were
0: saying just by having one, whereas you had an empty lot that nothing was happening in, and maybe it was collecting trash and was clearly like just just vacant. Versus having a green space that may have some landscaping mm-hmm. or trees mm-hmm. um, or a garden, that the difference in how people felt about their community and their own um, mental health um, that they would report back that they felt better. And wow. so just that they felt like a little bit lighter, a little bit happier. Mm-hmm. And I think it make, it's true. I think it makes a huge difference, both in just how does your community look to you has a strong effect on how you feel about it and then how you feel about your family being in it and yourself. But then also just having nature around you and having exactly. access to it, I think, makes a huge, huge impact. And so in the most densest part of the city, like Adams Morgan, like Columbia mm-hmm. Heights, I think it's crucial that we make sure that we put land aside, that we can have green spaces so young people can still have that access. Because I think in the end, it does help with their mental, um, mental health. Absolutely. I mean,
1: even as adults, what is the one, the, one of the first things we want to do when we're down and we're out and we need to just get away? We want to go to a beach? Exactly. We want to see water. We want exactly. to see green land, right? Or take a walk. Or... Take a walk. We want to hug a tree. At yes. least I do. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> hug several trees. <laughs> I like to hug a tree.
1: <laughs> hug a tree. You want to connect with nature.
0: Yes. And sometimes I don't think you automatically know why or what it is that you're yeah. looking for when you go to the beach or, you know, thinking, oh, I'm just going to lay on the sand and relax. But yes, it's the sound of the water. It's the having the sand underneath you. Exactly. It's having the plants around you. So. We may forget what that connection is about, but I think we all do end up craving it.
1: Absolutely. So you all, City Blossoms, works with a dynamic group of youth called Mighty Greens. Yes. And I want to have them on the show eventually. We're (laughs) going to work that out, right? I want to have them in. And first of all, I'm all about entrepreneurship when it just comes to, in general, but especially with communities of color. But really for youth. So they're like levels to this, right? And I just think it's awesome that at a young age that they are not learn that not only are they learning how to grow food and just grow other, you know, um, whether it be herbs or whatever for other products, but they're learning how to become entrepreneurs and they're learning business models, they're learning strategy. That is so important. Can you talk to us about Mighty Greens?
0: Sure. So just stepping back a little bit, um, I see just, you know, the development of City Blossoms as an entrepreneurial experience. Yes. Right. And I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, Definitely was challenging, but it also I appreciated the opportunity to um, be able to create kind of whatever uh, whatever we wanted to create as a team. And so I've always thought that that's important to have the same opportunities uh, for the young people that we work with. Um, and it's looked it's looked different along the years, uh, but especially for like preteens and teens, there was always an entrepreneurial aspect to it. Partly because that's what naturally interests them. Uh, partly because it was something that I thought was fun. But also, you know, a lot of um, a lot of them were coming from communities where they needed to think about real life, real life skills. Yeah. I'm doing parentheses. Yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but they needed to think about kind of their next steps always, while at the same time enjoying. Uh, nature and enjoying food. And so I thought it would be the most respectful thing we could do is kind of combine both. And it was something that they would find really exciting. So we did small projects throughout the years. Um, I lived in Baltimore for a little while. So there's a group of young people that I worked with in Baltimore and we would experiment. And then finally, Eastern High School called us one day when we were really ready. And so, um, and they said, we opened this door and we didn't realize we have this fantastic greenhouse and magical secret garden. Can you come and do something with us? Magical
1: secret garden. (laughs) It really is.
0: It's walled. So unfortunately no one else can see it, but it's like pretty magical. Oh man. Uh, It was something that I I think was happening in the Mm nineties and then everyone had just kind of forgotten about it. Um, And we were really excited. And our rule is um, we wait to be invited in. So Eastern invited us. So we're like, okay, let's do this. Um, And so it took a few years to get it going. And what we call now the Youth Entrepreneurship uh, Cooperative Program is the program that's run by City Blossoms. And through that program, we work with young people and they have their own business called Mighty Greens, which they named themselves. And so that's so that they have some autonomy within their business, but that we're still running this program. Um, so just kind of to, like, explain that. And so through Mighty Greens, and I don't want to tell their story too much because hopefully they will be on. I want them you. to come in and share their story, yep. <laughs> but through Mighty Greens, uh, they, they get to run their business. And they, so um, they use the gardens and the greenhouses now at Eastern and Cardoza to grow seedlings and share and sell them grow produce and sell that, but also make added value products. Yes. So yep. they have their uh, tea line. They have their... They have a tea line! Yes, they have oh, five different gosh. teas that they've come up with the recipes with, and that was very much with uh, the educator who works with the Malka. They did a lot of exploration to figure out that. They have their food line, so they have their herbs to Eastern and herbs to Cardoza, uh, and it's like an herb-salt mix. I love it. Um, and then they have their body stuff. They have like a... a a really nice shea butter body balm and something oh else. And so check them out guys. They're pretty support, fantastic. Support. They're on Instagram too, uh, mighty greens DC. Yep. I follow them. Yeah. They're pretty great. Um, so they manage their business, run it, they make a profit. And because they work like a co-op um, they then share the profit as a co-op would. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so Neat. the idea was really to explore an entrepreneurship as a communal activity versus an individual co- activity Both because there's a history of that in communities of color, Mm -hmm. um, but also because I think when you have limited resources, being an entrepreneur just by yourself is really tough. And so let's talk about how we pull resources together to do to do good. Um, So that was just kind of that. And then through their work at Mighty Greens, they also interact and participate and support other work happening in City Blossoms. So they come into other spaces. They're examples of leadership for younger kids. Hopefully uh, they become like a fellow at City Blossoms down the Mm -hmm. line if there's someone who's really interested um, or a board member or something like that. So we try to really intertwine it all together.
1: I love it. Well, we can't, I can't, I couldn't bring up City Blossoms, obviously, and not, shout out mighty greens because i love their work and you guys check them out and i'm excited to have them in this space because i want them to share their story they're doing some awesome things i need to go get my tea because i am a (laughs) tea drinker i don't drink coffee guys i love tea all right i'm all about this yeah i'm excited i'm excited so we just have a few more moments but i'm not leaving this show without talking about a book that you and two other folks collaborated on i'm not doing that i'm resurrecting that you laugh i do my research now because I I, believe, I appreciate I've I noticed. People doing, I, listen, people are out here doing greatness and I'm not letting it go. And I thought it was pretty dynamic. I need to go get it. So you got maybe 60 seconds. That's pressure, but you can do it. Maybe a minute and a half. So you and two other individuals co authored, would uh, you say, yes. or put together a book called Garden Gastro- Gastronomy. Mm hmm. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: So Garden Gastronomy, uh, Gastronomía del Jardín. What she is, said. <laughs> in el Jardín. <laughs> is a bilingual, um, a bilingual kid-focused cookbook that we designed at City Blossoms. And it was a response to the fact that we have um, what we call our community green spaces, which are kid gardens that are based in neighborhoods. They're not based at a school, and kids can just come during open times and hang out there. And many times they come for, you know, there's many kids who come for years uh, or then their siblings come and then, you know, a parent and whatever. So anyway, we do recipes in those gardens uh, usually at least once a week. And we have four of those spaces now in D.C. And through that, we started designing these recipes, uh, both the staff, but also with the kid input. And we would come up with like a kale avocado spread or kale chickpea spread, Uh, Everyone really loved doing summer rolls, which we were taught when this uh, Vietnamese uh, youth group would come to the garden often. So we like really got into that. And so we just had all these recipes and decided that we wanted to package it. And we anything that we package, we try to make it bilingual. So it's accessible to Spanish Mm -hmm. and English speaking communities. Um, And we had a graphic designer just drop out of nowhere who was amazing and helped us put the book together um, and a food photographer who was amazing, whose son had been an intern, and like it just, the it stars just all aligned. It's the stars aligned. Yeah, the stars aligned. <laughs> it was amazing. I and love that. And then we that. ended up with this fantastic book, and now we have it to share, and we've been able to share it all around the country. And That's so it's amazing. out there doing And the it's still
1: for sale, right? Yep.
0: It's still for sale. You can check Come on our now, website. We're talking
1: about support, entrepreneurship. Buy the book. It's I'm really going cute. to get the book. You buy the book. It's pretty lovely. That is exciting. Rebecca, it's been great having you here on the show. Thank you, Thank you very much. I was, I was just literally excited just to sit down and talk to you <laughs> one-on-one because we see each other in these different All spaces. Time. Let me tell you, the last time, so I, you were at an event that I put together mm-hmm. like last summer or whatever, last fall, I don't remember, at up top acres. But I remember the time before that. So, Rebecca is a builder, y'all. Like, I'm <laughs> telling you, like, she was in here trying to get some stuff together. But I remember the last time when she was at rooting, putting together like a whole, like, garden bed, like, hammers, <laughs> nails. And she's just like, and this is how you do it, and bam, bam, bam. And that's actually one of the things that we, because we, we had some technical difficulties, guys. So, I really wanted to touch on about people being really hands on and the garden space. Sorry, we didn't get to that. So don't come to me saying you didn't talk about that. I'm out of time, guys. Okay. <laughs> like stuff happens. We'll have her back on the show when Mighty Greens comes in. But um, I, I did really want to touch on the fact of people just being really hands-on in the garden space because this girl over here will put will yes,
0: <laughs> I will build you a garden. She will build you a garden. And so, I will put drills in hands of like any young person who's ready to, like, jump
1: in there as well. So. and she's not playing nope. like she's I'm looking at her now like what you about to go do
0: after the show girl? <laughs> I think I have to use a jigsaw today
1: oh gosh she's not she's not joking <laughs> nope. where can we find city blossoms that again on instagram facebook and wherever else you are website
0: yep uh, our website is um, www.cityblossoms.org and then we are definitely on instagram at at city blossoms also obviously check out mighty greens yes uh, and our facebook page and just you know Just look us up and contact us if you want to hang out or do anything or check out where any of our spaces are.
1: Yep. And buy the book, y'all, Garden Gastronomy. Yep. I got it. Okay. So really quickly,
0: guys, I have like
1: a minute to do this. We're going to do a rapid fire. You ready for me, Rebecca? Okay. Going to try. (laughs) Uh-oh. What is your favorite leafy green? Uh, Kale. You and like 10 other people. I I love it. Kale, yeah. Kale, yeah. (laughs) Kale, Kale, (laughs) yeah. Sweet, spicy, sour, or salty?
0: Uh, Salty, sweet. (laughs) <laughs> unless, unless it's the mangoes in the bag with the hot sauce. Oh, and you know, I lived sauce. in New York for a couple of years. Okay? You got the mangoes in the bag? Absolutely. Wow, I was in Crown things.
1: Heights. Heart. I was just like, all right, give me everything. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about the best mangoes that came out of that city. I'm <laughs> telling you. Um, your favorite fruit? Mango. Mango. What's cooking in your pot these days? Literally. <laughs> She's giving this, ah, she already told <laughs>
0: cooking not so much i made a very delicious edamame and corn salad with some herbs in my backyard that
1: sounds delicious i can make a
0: mean salad but as soon as fire is involved that's okay
1: that sounds absolutely divine thank you well you're always welcome so i'm gonna say will you share with me next time thank you um one way someone can channel their inner edible activism
0: Um, Come hang out with us in the garden. I mean, I know that sounds kind of like a plug, but really like uh, there's spaces all around. And so we need people in them to like liven them up and be part of them. So you can always come join us. And we're strong believers in partnerships.
1: Real talk. Reach out to Rebecca, guys. They're a really awesome organization. Rebecca is an awesome person. Thank Thank you for sharing a bit about your background and um, your upbringing. And so this was dope. All right, guys. So I got to go. I'm already running over. Um, let me say my little spill. So thank you everyone for tuning in. Um, we are here live on full service radio every Wednesday at 11 a.m. You can access each episode after it airs on iTunes and Spotify. You can also catch today's show on full which is also home to some other really cool podcasters. So please check them out. Follow me at food talks, DC on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Are you an edible activist? I'm sure you are. Come join me on the show. I would love to feature you. Just shoot me a DM on Instagram. Thanks and have a wonderful day. Peace.
0: Gracias.